Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Tech Your Business podcast. Today on the podcast, we'll be talking e-commerce, we'll be talking marketing, which has been one of my favorite topics throughout the interviews in this podcast. And today to talk marketing with us is Ron Bean. Ron Bean is a growth marketer, he's an entrepreneur, he's a book author, and also a podcaster host. And he's going to share his experience, his knowledge, and things we can implement in our businesses today. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Peter. I'm very excited to be here. All right. So tell us a bit about you. Tell us a bit about what you do and what you do for businesses too. Awesome. Great. So whenever I'm a guest on a, on a show, I'm not sure where exactly should I start my story, but I usually start with uh, probably based on my accent, you can tell that I'm Israeli. So like any other Israeli, when I was 18 years old, um, I went to the army because it's mandatory in Israel. Mm. And I served in the special forces for, for four years. And I think during these four years, I learned a lot about myself, but I also learned that I don't want to have any commanders or bosses above <laughs> me. So this is basically the moment that I realized I have to become an entrepreneur. Later on, I studied industrial engineering, and while my wife and I, we were traveling, after we finished our degrees, we were traveling in Thailand, actually, and we had so much fun on the beach, and we said, okay, we must find a way to come back here as soon as possible. We can't start working like nine to fives. So eventually, we went back to Israel. I started working in a media buying company, and after three months, I was already spending like $1 million on Facebook ads, <laughs> but I wow. I had no upside. So this kind of discouraged me. And luckily, I met a friend of mine in a bar in Tel Aviv, and he showed me a screenshot of his Shopify store. And he told me that he was making sales online. And until that moment, I thought that this was just basically bullshit that gurus are selling courses yeah. and not really doing the, the thing. But he was a childhood friend of mine. So I had to believe. And I wanted to believe. So the morning after I built a store, I, I knew I knew nothing, but I decided to build a store. Mm, and the same evening, <laughs> probably we got very lucky and we got our first sale. Hmm. And this kind of ignited like our belief that money can be made online. Later on, we both quit our jobs. We scaled our business. We sold uh, more than $4 million of mainly shapewear, dropshipping mainly. And this was until like three or four years ago. And since then, I've been mainly doing media buying, providing media buying services uh, to e-commerce uh, companies, automation services to B2B companies. So after I closed that dropshipping store, I kind of moved away and started providing services, marketing-related services. Um, so this is my story in a nutshell. And I'm obviously happy to elaborate if you have any questions. That's a really, really interesting, interesting journey you've had already. And that was really fast, the way you moved, um, opening the store just the next day <laughs> after yeah, getting yeah. the idea. Yeah, so um, so why did you close the dropshipping store? So, um, first of all, let me, before we, we started this call, I asked you, who is your audience? So you yeah. said... The, you, you shared a bit about your audience and you said that they probably want me to simplify some uh, aspects or jargon. So first of all, let me start by clarifying what type of dropshipping, dropshipping I did. 
Yeah. So dropshipping is a very wide and broad definition for basically it's a form of fulfillment. You don't hold the inventory. Um, you sell something that you don't have the inventory in your own warehouse. And mm -hmm. as soon as someone buys from you, you basically tell the supplier to ship the products directly to the customer. So this is dropshipping in a nutshell. Now, inside dropshipping, there are many nuances. You can do dropshipping in a marketplace such as Amazon. You can do dropshipping in your own store, Shopify, WooCommerce, whatever. So what we did was dropshipping low ticket in our own store, which means we were publishing our products mainly on Facebook ads. People saw the ads, clicked on the ad, came to our store. And whenever someone wanted to buy the product, they basically paid us and we paid the supplier, which was back in the days in China, later on in the UK, to send the mm. product directly to the customer. Now, the reason that we, this was very, very profitable back in the days, but during 2021, there was a huge change in the algorithm of Facebook. Mm. Uh, for many privacy reasons, a Facebook ability to serve uh, media buyers like me, the correct customers were kind of was kind of lagging. So the prices of acquiring a customer has tripled. And basically this brought us to a junction that we had to decide whether or not we want to increase the prices and kind of change the business model, or if you want to shift uh, to a different venture. And this is what we decided to do because we didn't want to keep on playing this game, which wasn't profitable. And we didn't want to raise money in order to completely change the way we operate. So this is, does this answer your question? Yeah, it, it does perfectly. Awesome, great. It does perfectly. So um, when you talk about media buying, what does that mean? What is it? Okay, so um, one thing to clarify regarding definitions that everybody has different definitions to different things. Yeah. So when I say media buying, I basically mean someone who does buying of media. It's pretty straightforward, but uh, basically someone who runs like Facebook ads or Google ads or TikTok ads, the one who is in charge of actually paying the companies and optimizing the ad campaigns. This is what I, I refer to as media buyer. Right. Hmm, okay. So for, for media buying, what are some advanced um, strategies that you've employed to achieve results for the brands you work with? Great question. Um, the strategies change all the time. Um, and they're really dependent on the also the long-term goal of the business. Because some business that I work with, they just want to grow and they don't care about profit at the moment because they just want to increase the market share. And some companies, they just want to become profitable. So you optimize differently. But in general, if I had to choose like principles, so first of all, I think it's very important to really know the numbers. Keep on always like being very data-driven. And I know that this is something that you also preach, like being data-driven yeah. and always having like the, the, the cap of the engineer, always looking at the numbers, seeing where you can optimize, having a lot of uh, automated rules, having a lot of um, testing, always testing, even stuff that didn't work in the past might work again. So if someone like a beginner came to me and asked me what exactly is a media buyer or what is a marketer, I would just basically say you're an experimenter. Uh, you, you, you just do experiments. You need to treat every action that you do as an experiment. You need to assume what are the results you are going to achieve. 
after you make this assumption, you need to analyze the results that you got or do they correlate with what you expected and then just iterate again and again and again. So this is basically how I view media buying. With regards to strategies, as I said, they change all the time. So the best thing to do, in my opinion, was just to be like be open-minded and just keep on testing even stuff that failed in the past. Hmm. And I can give you an example. Um, yeah. Back in the days, I in in Facebook Media Bank, you have different types of bidding systems. You can use automated bid or you can use a bid cap, which is basically you tell Facebook, listen, I want to pay. $15 per customer. I'm not willing to pay more. This is, you You give, you cap your bid. So back in the days, it worked fantastically. I never used Facebook automated bids because it was just spending my money um, not necessarily in a profitable manner. Yeah. And these days, bid capping doesn't work as well anymore. Automated bid is the way to go. I'm spending more than 5K daily on automated bid. And this is something that I would never do back in the days. And But I keep on testing bid cap because it might change, you know, the algorithm constantly are evolving and changing and Facebook or Google, they don't really notify the media buyers about changes as they do. So this Truth. is why you need to keep on experimenting and see if you can find like a, not necessarily a loophole, but an opportunity. Interesting. So you you've talked a lot about um, tracking and testing. So when you have your campaigns and everything running, what are the important numbers that you feel any business should track? Hmm, great question. Um, I think basically the book. The bottom line, the profitability is the most important thing. You know, uh, we are here like the goal of every business owner and the people that are working in the business is to increase profits to the shareholders so basically you should always track your uh, profits mm. um in e-commerce i think the most important metrics that everybody are fo is following is aov which is average order value what is the average order of the value uh, a customer does in the certain day or in a certain time frame there is also conversion rates which is basically um, you divide the amount of visitors in the website by the amount of buyers. So let's say if I had 100 visitors in my website and only three people bought, so I had a 3% conversion rate. And this is very important because you basically, you want to know how convincing and persuasive your landing page is or your funnel is. So this is the second metric, uh, conversion rate. And the third metric, which I think is the most important, is the lifetime value of a customer, hmm. which is basically a calculation of how much money a customer spends in your store or service in his own lifetime. This is just a calculation that you can make based on historical data. Hmm. Okay, so that's for tra um, numbers to track. Then you also talked about making tests and um, testing things that didn't work before where you talked about mm -hmm. the automated bidding and um, cool. So mm -hmm. also for advertising, how do you know what to test and how can you easily set up tests? Because I know you mentioned earlier automating your tests. Yeah, so not necessarily automating tests, but sometimes uh, you have like stop losses rules in the platform. Ooh. So for example, 
back in the days, um, I, I was spending a lot of money, for example, on Facebook ads. And the checkout, in it was a Shopify checkout, and it broke. So wow. I was sending five, I, I was spending 5K daily. And after like spending $4,000, I realized that uh, all the customers that arrived to the checkout, they couldn't really buy. So wow. this was basically uh, flushing 4, 4K down the drain. And since wow. then, I've decided I'm going to put uh, implement stop loss rules. So basically, oh, you can yeah. tell Facebook, listen, if you see that um, you spend more than 2,200 bucks with mm -hmm. no sale, pause the campaign. So it just you just limit your downside. So this is like with regards to automated rules. Now, with regards to automating testing, and uh, not, uh, sorry, prioritizing testing, this is something that uh, a lot of my customers and, and colleagues, they ask me. So... I use a framework in which I kind of write down all my ideas of tests. Let's say uh, add a, a, some sort of a payment gateway to the checkout, change the testimonial. I just write a bunch of ideas. I put them in a spreadsheet and then I score them based on like my the perceived impact that I think it will achieve mm. and the ease of implementation. So let's say, and then I multiply the score. So let's say, Adding a new button to the checkout is, I believe it can be very impactful. So I give it a score of 10 from one to 10. Let's say one is not impactful and 10 is very impactful. So I give it a score of 10. And the ease of implementation, let's say 10 is very easy and one is very difficult. I give it a five. So overall score is 50, 10 multiplied by five. Then I go to the next idea. I also score that idea based on these parameters. And whenever the score is the highest, I basically choose this as my next step, my next test. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So it just eliminates one it, and. Yeah. You just, you basically, you just give weighted scores to all the ideas and then you sort them out by ease of implementation and the potential of impact. Hmm. That's interesting. So. Talking about e-commerce, you've been in e-commerce for at least since before the pandemic. You've seen it. You've been mm -hmm. you've been in it from um, as an e-commerce store owner. You've been in it as a media buyer. So over the years, how have you seen the e-commerce landscape change, especially when you talk about growth start strategies and marketing approaches in the last few years? Mm -hmm. mm. Based on my observation, and I think it's not necessarily so different from any other business landscape, I kind of feel that there is a phenomenon of the winner takes it all. So uh, if when I started, it was like 2015, smaller players could still achieve success. Today, I think it's way, way more difficult. I think that you must have a bigger edge than you need to, you had to have back in the days. So today, if you don't enter the e-commerce game with uh, an edge, like a from a marketing perspective or from a money perspective, if you ha don't have way more capital, I think mm. it's not as relevant as it used to be. So as I said, I think it's becoming like a winner takes it all. Small players, unless they find like a very tiny niche which they can cater, they are not relevant anymore. So mm. this is basically the, the major difference that I see along the year so the bigger players are taking bigger shares of the market and they are kind of 
kicking out the the smaller players from the game true very true so you talked um drop shipping because i remember back then drop shipping used to be really really popular i had a lot of um you had a lot of groups you have a lot of, you had a lot of people being into drop shipping mm -hmm. then and all that does it still is it still relevant these days are people still managing to find out ways to make it work yeah, so this is a, um, exactly, I think it's kind of related relates to what I said before. So because so many people wanted to enter the dropshipping game and it seemed like a very lucrative game. So I always say the barrier to entry is very low. Everybody can yeah. now build a Shopify store, but the barrier to success has become way, way higher <laughs> just because there is so much competition. So... I don't think it's as easy as it was back in the days. And I think, like I said, I think if you want to enter the dropshipping game, you need to have more knowledge, more experience, and more capital than you used to need back in the days. Okay. So you talked about um, the bigger players crowding out everybody these days. And mm -hmm. for you to, to be successful, you need to pick a small niche or something that you specialize mm -hmm. in. So for an a small operator just starting out, what should they look out for when they are picking that niche where they might be successful in? This is a great question. Uh, I think it's also a matter of, uh, of long-term thinking and what do you want to become? So whenever people ask me, I tell them, I would prefer for you to think about what you already have an interest in and what field of expertise you already know. So if you're, you have like a, a hobby of riding bicycles in the weekend, so maybe mm -hmm. find a pain that you have and create a product that is relevant or maybe start selling gear that is relevant to your own niche. Uh, so first of all, some sort of uh, affinity to the niche, I think it's a big plus because if you're just selling stuff that you don't really care about and you don't really understand the customers, so you'll be behind. Uh, you need to, yeah. to catch up with the other players who do know the customers and do understand the landscape. So I think having some sort of an affinity to what you're selling is a huge plus. And another thing that I would look out for is something that is profit profitable, has potential of profit, but it is too small for the bigger players to care about. Mm. So for example, uh, let's say, if there's a huge um, company and I want to be like a leader in a very tiny uh, country that speak a very, like let's say only million people speak this language. So I can be pretty sure that the huge company won't localize the business just for a million people because it's irrelevant. They are, it's, it's not a big enough market share, you know? Yeah. So looking for these opportunities that are big enough for you to achieve your goals but are too small for bigger corporates to even consider going that route. Hmm. All right. So uh, you need to have affinity to the product, be interested in it, and also find the need just mm -hmm. profitable, but too small for the bigger companies to care about. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So can you give us probably maybe one or two growth hacking techniques that you've seen that have been effective for scaling especially brand new e-commerce businesses just starting out? This is a great question. And um, I think 
for specifically in in this case of, of growth hacking in e-commerce what i would suggest is try first to find influencers um, and try to find influencers that are willing to take the risk because they believe in you and they believe in the product and they want to join for the journey because the big um, upside with influencers is if you are able to convince them so you can shift the risk to them because you pay them based on commission it's a, yeah. they are your, or your affiliate so you don't need to spend money on media buying so I think First of all, if someone comes to me and they don't have a lot of money and they want to start an e-commerce store, first I tell them, okay, you need to gain more experience or gain more cash. And while you do so, start recruiting affiliates. So I think recruiting affiliates makes a lot of sense because you mitigate the risk. So this would be one thing. I'm not, I'm not sure it necessarily is a growth hack because most of the growth hacks that I'm doing are more related to automations um, and more in the B2B space and utilizing ChatGPT in order to write articles and write out, uh, personalized outreach, stuff like this. Um, but with regards to like e-commerce, so the first thing I would suggest is, is influencer marketing uh, and, uh, and recruiting affiliates. And the second thing is maybe using um, code in order to generate a lot of creatives. Hmm. Because one of the most important things in e-commerce, if you're relying on Facebook ads or any type of media buying, is generating a lot of creatives. And creative is basically very expensive. But if you are able to create creatives in a cost-efficient manner, then you can test more creatives. And if you test more, your probability of creating a, a, an ad that actually converts is higher. So for example, what I did, I take a bucket, I created a, a Python code that mm -hmm. basically takes um, different types, elements of a video. So for example, I have five scroll stoppers, five social proof segments, and five outros. And I use code in order to generate a combination of all of these elements. So it's five multiplied by five multiplied by five. Cool. And I don't need to pay a video editor, and I don't need to pay more uh, actors or don't need to do anything. I just generate a ton of, of creatives, which I can then test. So basically trying to find workarounds and how to leverage code as your friend in order to achieve more, basically. Hmm, all right. So talking about automation still, how can businesses mm -hmm. leverage this automation to streamline their operations and also enhance their customer experience? Um, to be honest, most of the stuff today that I'm seeing in the e-commerce game with regards to streamlining, it's mostly related to streamlining the operations, mm. um, the backend. When someone made a purchase, it's already streamlined. The purchase goes to the warehouse, the warehouse uh, sends the product and the email marketing service provider. So for example, Clavio or MailChimp, it automatically notifies the customer and it automatically uh, sends a, a request for review later on. So this is pretty automated in the backend after the sale was done. Prior to the sale, 
I'm not really aware of any like good solutions that really automate the sales funnel, unfortunately. Mm. If you know anything, so please share. <laughs> That's all right. So another thing we talk about a lot, um, is, um, which you talk about too, is conversion rate optimization. So can you tell us, mm-hmm. okay, I think you, you mentioned that earlier. You mentioned what the conversion rate is, where the amount mm-hmm. of visitors versus the amount of buyers Mm-hmm. Yes. So can you tell us how conversion, some best practices in um, conversion rate optimization that can help businesses maximize these conversion rates? Sure. Um, first of all, you need to know your conversion rates. And this isn't shouldn't be taken for granted. So many people don't know their conversion rates. And they don't track it. And if you don't track something, you Obviously, you can't improve that. So first of sure. all, the first step is knowing your conversion rate and also making a distinction between the conversion rate in mobile versus the conversion rate in desktop hmm. versus the conversion rate in tablet because they most likely have completely different conversion rates, but most of your customers are probably for mobile. So you should probably optimize the mobile, but don't... Assume that if your conversion rate in mobile is good, your conversion rate in desktop is good as well, because it's a it might be a completely different, not necessarily completely different funnel, but completely different behavior. Hmm. So this is the first thing, making a distinction. Next, you have Google Analytics, which should be your best friend, like seeing the data. And you have many tools such as heat maps, which basically show you how customers interacted with your websites. You have also like session recordings, which basically these are softwares that you put in the backend of your website. And then you can see recordings of customers visiting your store. So you can see customer landing on my page. You can see they scrolled. You can see what they focused on, if they highlighted anything, if they clicked on anything which wasn't clickable. So basically you can see the whole journey until they purchased or until they abandoned the cart or abandoned the funnel. So this is the second thing. So we said heat maps, session recordings, and I would also suggest uh, customer interviews, speaking with customers, um, doing usability testing, hmm. which is basically just hopping on a call with a customer, asking them to complete, let's say, a purchase. And while they're trying to do so, asking them to tell you anything that comes to mind. So for example, I would say find a, a customer of mine, send him uh, a Zoom, a session, start a screen recording and tell him, okay, this is your landing page. I want you to conduct a purchase. And whenever, when any anything comes to mind, just tell me. So he would land on the landing page and he would say, whoa, such a huge discount. This is cool. So I would take a note. Then he would scroll down and then I would ask him what's going on. And he would tell me, I'm looking for testimonials, but I don't see any testimonials that I believe in. So I take a note of that. And mm. then I tell him, okay, now please complete the purchase. And you can see that he is struggling. He can't find the button for completing a purchase. And then you realize that although it seemed very obvious to you because you built the funnel, maybe most of the customers don't even know how to interact with your website. And this is why mm. usability testing is also so important. So I think these are like the three fundamental things that you can do at the beginning. Once you have more traffic, you can start playing around with split testing and multivariate testing, stuff like this. 
but this is a bit more advanced and I don't think it's necessarily so relevant uh, to our conversation. Yeah. So another thing that's important that comes up when we talk about conversion rates is the copy, the copy on the page. Mm -hmm. So do you have any tips for creating persuasive, persuasive and highly converting website copy? Sure. So first of all, there is a lot of frameworks which you can use. Uh, uh, they are very helpful at the beginning when you're not sure exactly how to write copy. So there are a lot of frameworks that can really help you um, to write better copies. So for example, there is like a PAS framework, which is pain, agitate, and solution. So you write the pain, then you agitate the pain, and then you present the solution uh, to the customer. So this is one framework. There is also... There are a ton of frameworks, like a bridge framework, which is basically you tell the customer um, where he is at the moment, his goal, let's say he's currently working nine to five, his goal is to be financially independent. And then you present the bridge, which is your solution. Mm -hmm. So this is another framework. So there are a ton of frameworks that you can use. This is the first thing. And the next thing that is related is actually the usability testing, what I mentioned before. Once you conduct customer interviews, you can record what they are saying. When they speak about their challenges and their pains, if you can later on use what they said regarding their aspirations and their challenges in your copy, I think the copy will become more persuasive because I'm assuming that if someone has pain, let's say related to making money and they're looking for to make more money online. So if he says, I don't have time and I need money to provide. So I think he's probably not the only one who is facing this uh, challenge. And then if you put it in the copy, the next potential customer, when he reads the copy, he feels that he's being understood. He feels mm -hmm. that someone who wrote the copy and the solution, he can relate to this person. And he feels that the solution might be the correct solution to his needs. So it's basically nailing down really understanding your customer, your prospects, or some people call it your avatar, and then using language that they will understand in their copy. So never overcomplicate, always keep it simple, um, and always try to tap into their like selfish desire. What they, mm. would they like to achieve? How does your product solve their pain? And not focusing on, on the features, focusing on focusing on the benefits of your yeah. product and your solution. Hmm. That's actually a little copywriting masterclass right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So still talking about copywriting. What are some copywriting mistakes you commonly see e-commerce businesses make and which you would like them to avoid? Hmm. This is also a great question. Um, I think... The biggest, I, no, I wouldn't say the biggest, but very common mistake is not segmenting your customers. And this is also something that I sometimes uh, overlook. But basically, in your buyers, you have different segments. And one copy wouldn't necessarily rela be related to one segment, isn't necessarily to, related to the other segment. And I'll give you an example to clarify because I was just, okay. <laughs> I was kind of mumbling. <laughs> so let's say I'm selling whey protein. Mm -hmm. One segment 
they are bodybuilders. They are not able to put the protein intake from chicken breast and they want something a bit more fun. This is why they want whey protein. Another group is very busy business owners. They don't have time to eat and they want to put in protein. Another group is a group that is actually want to, wants to lose weight and in order not to have cravings for carbs, they want to consume this whey protein. Mm. So let's say I'm building now a product page selling whey protein and I'm just focusing on the benefits and the solution, trying to convince the bodybuilders, the group uh, of the weight loss, they feel that the copy is completely irrelevant to them. They don't mm. feel that the solution is what they need. So they will just keep on seeking until they find uh, a company that is selling whey protein for weight loss. So before even nailing down the copy, I need, I think that you need to correctly segment your customers and understand why are they buying. And based on this, you write a more compelling copy to their needs. Hmm. All right. That's, that's interesting. So you're also a podcast host of the mm-hmm. Ecom X Factor podcast where you speak to Ecom, um, this thing entrepreneurs and mm-hmm. the like so over time on your podcast what are some key takeaways or insights you've gained from your podcast guests that can benefit business owners here well i, I learned so much from my podcast I, I think it's one of the things that i'm most proud of and enjoyed and i got a lot out of it that i didn't even expect to get mm. um the major improvement was actually in my ability to listen, which isn't necessarily business related, but you can say it is a soft skill that is very important for business. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, listening better and asking better questions. Um, but if something stands out with regards to like the content, uh, I had a very interesting conversation. I had many, I, I think I published almost 90 episodes, wow. but one of the most Im- impactful question that I was asked actually by one of my guests is are you operating out of fear or out of love hmm. I, 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 and I, I just this it's just a beautiful question in my opinion hmm. and I think about this very often on my daily life am I operating out of fear or out of love and he goes and say he goes on and says that it's better to operate out of love I think it's pretty straightforward, but it's not. It's very simple, but yet not so easy. We mm. often operate out of fear, and I, I would like to operate more out of love than out of fear. So I think this is like my base, my best takeaway. It isn't necessarily business related, but I think we are all human beings, and business is just a derivative of us being human beings. So exactly. I think it's important to share. <laughs> exactly and the, the business is human at the end of the day no matter how much you try to put it in different um boxes and everything exactly <laughs> all right so talking about our uh, personal lives and everything you t- you mentioned when i was um, doing a bit of research and you mentioned enjoying time with your daughter reading and also working out so how are you able to maintain this um relationship with the family and everything, especially in a field as dynamic as e-commerce? Yeah, so uh, it's not easy. It's, it is very challenging. Um, what I focused on since alone now my daughter was born is trying to use levers 
in order to improve my effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And as far as I see it, there are four different types of levers that we can pull. One is capital, pouring more capital into the initiatives and basically speed up or accelerate the progress. This is the first one. The second one is using human resource, paying other people, delegating outsourcing. The third one is media. Basically, if I'm conducting this conversation one-on-one with you, this is one-on-one. But as soon as you publish it, it can be one-to-many. This is another lever that we both are using at the moment. And the fourth lever is the code automation. And this is something that I've been focusing on in the last many years. But when Alona was born, I've been doubling down on this because I just am not able to put in as much time as I used to be able to. So today I try to automate everything. So let's say the other day I wanted to to, uh, remove people from my Facebook Mm -hmm. friends. So I just automated the process. And in one click, I deleted 400 people. Wow. If I had to do it manually, it would have taken me, I don't know, maybe 40 minutes. And 40 minutes (laughs) is very precious in my opinion. So everything that I see a process that can be automated because it has like specific patterns, I would try to automate it using code. Mm. So I think this is like one of the main factors or delivers that I'm trying to use in order to gain more time to be with my daughter or family in general. Um, but yeah, in general, try to work smarter, not harder. And it's a cliche, but I think it <laughs> it does make sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yes, it does. So you talked about you. You've talked about using code, using Python code a couple of times. So at what point did you learn how to code in your journey, and what inspired you to do so? Um, I'm not. I, I don't consider myself a, a programmer or a developer. Um, I studied programming in high school. It was mm. Pascal and C I don't. I don't <laughs> think. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that these languages are so popular these days. But uh, it gave me the benefit of understanding the logics of programming. Mm. And I've done like courses about Python, Visual Basic, stuff like this. But I never like really got my hands dirty. Um, and I was, in the last two years, I've been focusing on no code automation. So using Ooh. RPA tools, robotic process automation tools, such as uh, Microsoft Power Automate mainly. Hmm. And once once ChatGPT was introduced, so I've been using a lot of Python because basically you don't need to know the syntax anymore. You just need to have like understanding of how does programming work, yeah. how to build a process. So the logic, once you have the logic, the understanding of the logic of programming, you don't really have to understand syntax anymore because you have a ChatGPT that knows all the syntax. This is basically what I'm observing. It isn't necessarily correct, but this is how I feel. Interesting. I've I've actually seen that a lot. I actually use it a lot of the time because there are sometimes maybe you want to get something up and instead of just trying to do the trial and error, trial and error, just go, just put a count to do this in chat GPT, brings it out and you just have to correct whatever it brings mm-hmm. out and it saves so much time. And one thing you mentioned yeah. too is the real truth. A lot of us are in business because we want that freedom, that time freedom, especially to do, mm-hmm. do, do lots more in our lives at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talking about um, e-commerce, how, what do you s- foresee the future of e-commerce being? in the next few years? Well, I have no idea because, you know, 
since the AI has been introduced, it like it was be. always here, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but since things are moving so fast, it's hard to predict what would happen. And so uh, I don't even want to predict. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea. Um, and to layer on top of the complexity of making the prediction, I also believe that the Web3 game and the blockchain will also mm. will see some sort of a revival because I, I, I do believe in, in the technology and I do believe in the principles and I do think that it's something that is can benefit humanity. Um, and I believe that AI and blockchain and e-commerce, they will combine soon, but I don't know exactly how and I don't know exactly when. <laughs> uh, but this is my, my I, I'm hoping to see this happen. Um, and then who knows? Hmm, interesting. So what's some, you've mentioned a lot of um, tech tools. So what's your favorite tech you use in managing your business, in managing your personal routines, workflow, and co? Yeah, so uh, with regards to the automation, so I'm using a lot of Microsoft Power Automate uh, desktop, which is a very powerful tool that allows you to build like very, very powerful automations, also desktop, also web, uh, scraping, data mining, whatever, a lot of stuff. And you can also connect it with API to ChatGPT, and oh. then you have like basically superpowers. So this is uh, one thing that I'm using a lot. Um, Besides this, pretty basic Google Sheets, Google Analytics, Google mm. Tag Manager, the native uh, platforms for running ads. Um, yeah, I think this this is pretty much it. I, I mean, not, not, nothing too fancy these days, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, chat, whenever I, let's say, for example, if I want to build, sometimes I just want to build something. So I just go to ChatGPT and I build it. So for example, the other day, I wanted to have like a Chrome extension with a canned responses. Hmm. Do you know what are can like templates? Yeah. And I couldn't find anything that suited my needs. So I just went to ChatGPT and I told it to write for me a canned response Chrome extension. And now I'm using a Chrome extension that I basically built. <laughs> I never built a Chrome extension before, but uh, <laughs> it took me like two hours. And wow. now I have my own. So again, I feel that... Um, Technology isn't a barrier anymore because of ChatGPT. So basically, I don't know what will be, how software will evolve because I think back in the days, it was very hard to build stuff. Today, I think it's very easy to build stuff. And so I don't know how that will evolve. But for me, I don't use so many SaaS these days, mainly using ChatGPT to build my own stuff. <laughs> Yeah, and I see I see that happen a whole lot, and it's really interesting because at the end of the day, the more modern the technology, it seems to take out that layer of um, writing code. Because back in the days, to code a computer, you need to you needed to do the ones and zeros, the binary, and all that. Mm -hmm. Then you move to machine language, then move to readable code, and now we're just using chats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're just using chats and building things. So if looking through your career, you've talked about a lot today. You've talked about um, four years of service in the military. You've talked about working as a media buyer. You've talked about your dropshipping journey and going from there to what you're doing now. So if you were to go back to go back in the past and speak to your younger self, give your younger self one mm -hmm. piece of advice, what would you tell young mm -hmm. Yaron? 
Wow. Um, oof, great question. I mean, I'm a big believer in learning and persisting. Hmm. So just keep on learning and keep on persisting. Um, these are two traits that I always had. Uh, even when I was young, I used to work, I try to work harder than all the other like uh, competitors. Like I was playing soccer, so yeah. I would come the earliest and win and go home uh, after everybody because I just thought it makes sense to persist, you know, and, and outwork everybody. Today, I don't necessarily believe in outworking. I believe in outworking using code and, and, and deliver that we mentioned. But basically, it's, it's all about, in my opinion, what fulfills me. And I think what would also make sense from a financial standpoint is always keep on learning. So keep on reading books, keep on taking courses, keep on paying coaches, try to learn as much as possible uh, from whoever you can. And even if someone is bad example, you can still learn from them how not to behave and what what not to do. So always keep learning. So that's really good advice. So leaving your younger self and talking to the audience currently, we've been talking about e-commerce, we've been talking about media buying, we've been talking about conversion rates and things like that. So what piece of advice would you like the audience to leave with at the end of this episode? I think uh, for me, one of the, mo the most important things, the most important topics that is sometimes had like a, has like a bad marketing is studying philosophy and logics. Mm. Um, many people think that when they hear philosophy, they think about something that is very boring and very relevant. But in my opinion, it's learning philosophy and logics is very important to our daily lives. So first of mm. all, Philosophy is about improving your well-being and how you conduct yourself on a daily basis. And learning learning logics is actually very helpful in the business, business landscape because you develop critical thinking and you realize that if something happened uh, after something else happening, it's not necessarily a cause and effect situation. It might be correlation and you know how to analyze things and you become more data-driven. So you you develop critical thinking, which is so, so important these days because there is so many fake media, so many fake gurus, so many uh, weird stuff going on. So having an independent mind and knowing how to view reality, it's not as if I've, I've solved everything. I still have a lot of questions, you know, yes. but <laughs> I, I do believe that having critical thinking and studying philosophy can be very beneficial uh, and it doesn't seem like it if you don't know what it is. I mean, it's very easy to over to overlook or dismiss philosophy when you're very money oriented. But I think it is also very helpful for gaining money if this is your goal. Really true. All right. So as we get to the end of this, for the listeners who want to maybe reach out to you, work with you, connect with you, learn more from you, maybe listen to your podcast or read your book. How can they reach you? I think the, the best thing would be to Google my name uh, and then hopefully Google will serve me right <laughs> and, and put uh, put uh, my website on top. I'm mostly active on, on LinkedIn. You can look up my name, Yaron Bin. 
I am pretty unique with regards to my name. So if you won't see any other Yaron Beans <laughs> on LinkedIn. And yeah, yeah. just uh, send me a message. Say hello. I'm happy to connect. And I think that's an advantage I have with my name too. You won't see a lot of people. <laughs> I love her with the same name. All right. So thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Peter. You. And, and for the audience, thank you for being with us on this episode of the Tech Your Business podcast. I'm sure you've picked up a lot. You've learned a lot, especially those into e-commerce or planning to go into e-commerce. I'm sure there's one or two or more things you've picked up that you can apply in your business. So till next week, when we come back with a brand new episode of the Tech Your Business podcast, don't forget to implement something you've learned today and keep taking your business. Bye for now.